in a way that is going to move you and change you. Amen? Amen. Nehemiah chapter 6. If you are there, I want us to clap on the count of three. Well, we're excited. It's okay. One, two, three. Sweet. I'm going to read the first verse, and then I'm going to stop, and, and we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. Amen? Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now when Sanballat, everyone go, and Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies, heard that I had built the wall. And there was no breach left in it. You're right. We missed that. Let's try that again. We get, let's, let's all give a cheer. And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall. And there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time... I had not set up the doors or the gates. So we're getting to a place in the story where the wall is 99.999% complete. There's no big gaping holes in the wall. There are just a few doors that need to be put on. I think many of us are finding ourselves in a place as we grow in our sanctification that a lot of the breaches that once existed, the gaping holes in our life, have begun to, to be uh, just uh, built up and filled together. And we're starting to see that there aren't many big gaping holes left because we're allowing the Lord to do a work in our life. But isn't it also true as we're going through that process and we evaluate the wall that's around us, we can see areas where it's almost complete, but there are just a few doors left to hang. Did you know that this is a time and that this is a plan? This is where the enemy starts to get aggravated and he's seeing that his opportunity to break through the wall is closing. I don't know, have you ever seen a cartoon, or a movie, where someone slips on a banana peel. It's like the oldest trick in the book. Someone takes a banana peel, and they throw it on the ground, so that when the enemy comes by, they will slip and fall. Did you know that we are literally in Nehemiah right now, where the enemy has some banana peels. Oh. He's like Johnny Karate over there. And the enemy is taking banana peels. Something that makes me, I won't throw this one, I'll just, in case I get hungry later. He's throwing banana peels. And see, we, we think about this and we're like, how, how basic, how junior high, how infant is it that someone would throw banana peels to try to trap us? I'm telling you today that the enemy is trying to throw banana peels so that we slip. 
with things that seem juvenile, with things that seem innocent, with things that seem like they couldn't cause us to fall, but they do. Did you know where the banana peel, where this whole thing originated? Did you know that it actually, I'm going to read a couple things. I think this is pretty interesting. How did this whole banana peel thing start? It says, before the discovery of its comedic potential, the banana skin was considered a real public hazard in the mid-19th century. A man named Carl B. Frank began importing Panamanian bananas to New York City. The fruit quickly became a popular street food throughout America. But the surge in urban migration and lack of sanitation regulation posed a major problem in the cities. People often tossed their garbage in the streets, leading to a general foul stench and the building up of waste. A fresh banana peel might seem non-threatening, but a rotting banana peel was a slime-covered booby trap. It says that this is how our recycling came about. That there was this problem of trash filling the streets. So they had to design a system for recycling, for trash removal, and for things like that nature. Then I want to go through, and I want to be very specific today, about the banana peels that are being thrown by the enemy. I want you to look for a pattern. The enemy wants us to slip. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. The enemy wants you to slip so that you become afraid so the work of God will stop. The enemy wants you to fall so you will become afraid and the work of God will stop in your life. Did you know not many times in life can we actually uh, apply and put into practice uh, what I'm saying as I'm saying it? Sometimes you have to sit back, think a little bit, evaluate yourself, and then you can come up with the application of what God's word is. And I'm going to give you an application piece right now. So this week, uh, we got a phone call. I want everyone to say right now, I trust the Lord. So this week, we got a phone call from the health department that there are a number of people in our congregation uh, who have, it's been confirmed that they have the mumps. Uh, This is something that would cause most people uh, to begin to panic, to begin to withdraw, to begin to uh, compromise on some of uh, the ministry obligations, on some of their faith convictions in order to protect themselves. That is something we're not going to do. Because the enemy wants to take something like health. I believe, just just to be real for a second, I believe this is an area God is refining and maturing our church. In the past, and even a little bit now, there are some people that have maybe possessed an unhealthy view of health in their life. Where health is everything. If, if I'm not healthy, panic begins to set in. I can't be around sick people. If, if that's going to happen, i got to stay away. I'm not going to go to this place or this place because I have to protect myself. And there's an unhealthy yielding to good health. I believe many breaches in this area in our church have been closed. 
I still believe there are a couple doors off, and the enemy is seeking for this to be an opportunity where he can throw banana peels so we slip, we fall, we become afraid, and the work of God stops. We are not going to let that happen. We see the trap. If health is something that concerns you, if this announcement concerns you, we're going to send the health department and us to, uh, asked us to send out some information, and we're going to do that uh, through our home groups. And so if you say, I want that information, but I'm not a part of your home group, talk to a home group leader. Home group leaders, can you just raise your hands for a second? Talk to any one of these people, and we'll make sure you can come to our home group, get on the email list, and you'll have that information. Cool? We are not going to be afraid. We see what the enemy's doing. And so right now, God, we just command that all sickness leave this place. That this is a place where the sick come in, but they leave healed. So God, we just pray for your healing to break out in here. Uh, we declare we are not afraid of the mumps. We are not afraid of any disease in this place because this is a place where your spirit moves and people are healed in power in Jesus' name. What's the first banana peel that we're going to see in Nehemiah? And I'm going to say what the banana peel is, and then I want you to try to find it as we're reading through Scripture. The first trap that the enemy tries to get us to slip on when God's work is almost complete in our life is distraction with the intent to harm. Did you know that one of the traps he tries to put in your life to make you afraid, to cause you to abandon the great work God is doing, is he tries to distract you with the intent to harm you? Let's read verses 1 through 4. We already read verse 1. Let's pick up in verse 2. It says, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim. In the plain of Ono. Everyone say, oh no. <laughs> but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I love this because he doesn't even get involved. Do you see that? He said, you're not even worth to waste my time with. He sent his messenger. Verse 4. And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner, distracted with the intent to harm, right? You're going toward the finish line. You are almost there, and wouldn't you know the enemy is putting a trap right in front of you. I have a little movie to illustrate this. There's music. You can turn up the music. Banana peel, throne, epic. Look at his face, look at his face. No. And what do we get? A front flip to fabulous victory. Everyone who's played Mario Kart is on the same page. Some people have no idea what this is about. 
Do you see in Nehemiah, as they are headed toward the finish line, there is one last attempt for the enemy to throw a trap to get you caught up? Is there something right now that you can identify that you've been being distracted with? That the enemy has thrown into your life? There's no fruit coming from it. It's a burden to you. It produces anxiety in you. A lot of times this is in a relational capacity. Is there some distraction that the enemy, as you are headed toward victory, he is throwing in your life? You think of this a lot of times in the terms of healing. Let's start with financial healing. You've paid down debt. You have come up with a plan. You have started to tithe and to give generously. And wouldn't you know it? Your furnace breaks down. What do I do? Do I compromise? Do I give in to the distraction? This is one last thing. Get them off their game. What about emotional healing? We see how the enemy does this in emotional healing quite often. When we talk about things like trauma. Maybe you've experienced trauma from abuse. Your triggers are getting less and less. The things that used to cause you to react, you can now face with a confidence, with a boldness. Your voice is beginning to come back. And then you see your abuser driving in their car. It's a banana peel being thrown. What about spiritual healing? You've identified sin in your life. You repent. You begin to bear fruit with repentance. You're having victory. The frequency of that sin is growing less and less and less. And then you are face to face with temptation. What do you do? It's a banana peel being thrown. Maybe you're physically... You're fighting for a physical healing. You're growing stronger and stronger. Your family is going through sickness, but they're beginning to be healthier and healthier. You are walking with confidence, and you slip on a banana peel. Are you going to let that cause a fear in your life? Are you going to let that cause a fear so that the work of God ends? Did you see in verse 2, did you see the distraction? He says this, come, let us meet together. Do you see how that sounds innocent? It sounds innocent enough. Hey, let's, Nehemiah, let's just get this whole thing behind us. Let, let's, let's meet together. Let's, this little thing that we had between us, let's get that repaired. This is a repair that's trying to happen without repentance. It's a distraction. Listen, the enemy is always trying to lure you into his territory, into his field. Do you see right here? And this is going to come up a little later. Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim. You can say that word if you want. It's kind of fun. Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. Oh, no. Whenever you get a sense that you are being dragged and lured into the enemy's territory, think of Nehemiah 6 and say, oh no, I am not going to go. Do you see how he responds to this? 
that is response to this uh, banana peel that's being thrown, this distraction that's being thrown. He doesn't panic. He doesn't get together with all of his friends and, 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 and just, just contemplate what to do and start to freak out. No, he chooses to put on the right perspective. Look at what he says. He says, I sent the messengers saying, I am doing a great work. Did you know that one of the ways the enemy tries to lure you is through minimizing the work that's right in front of you? He tries to give you a perspective that minimizes what's happening right in front of you. This is the lie that some men believe when they leave their family in marriage because their perspective is that what is right in front of them, their family and their wife and their kids is too much of a burden. The enemy tries to minimize what's right in front. Do you see how Nehemiah stands strong and he stands strong and he calls it what it is? No, what I am doing is a great work. Husbands and fathers, Mothers and wives, what you are doing is a great work that is right in front of you. Don't let the enemy minimize that to lure you into his battleground. It's a distraction. You know, this is why many pastors leave small churches when they get an opportunity to go to something bigger and better. The enemy minimizes the work that is right in front of them. For someone where the grass is greener, but do you know that the grass is greener where you water it? Water. Uphold. Value the work that God has put right in front of you, and you won't give into the distraction of leaving to go somewhere else. That's how your trap is avoided. Is there a minimization or a distraction in your life right now that is luring you into enemy territory? Is there anything in your life that you can look at and you can see how the enemy is trying to minimize something that is right in front of you so that you go for an escape, that you become afraid, maybe it's afraid of missing out on something, and that you go somewhere else in fear? That you push off the responsibilities that have been handed to you. We see that the distraction is repair, meeting together. His response is putting on the right perspective. Let's see another distraction. Because remember, he's trying to distract with the intent to harm. Look at verse 4. And they sent to me four times. Relentless. Four times in this way. Hey, come here, meet us here. 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 Four times the pressure was starting to increase. Did you know when there's an attack coming against you that it's often not just a one-time thing? That one day it may look like this. You wait a little bit. Then it comes again with this messenger. And then it comes in the form of this messenger. And then there's a different messenger. But it's bringing the same attack to lead you into the same place. Where you're isolated. Where you're broken. Where you're not surrounded by the people of God. Because he's trying to distract you to do you harm. A 
pressure, relentlessness. How do you respond to something like that? Look at verse 4. And I answered them in the same manner. He said, the answer is still no. I don't care how many times you come knocking at my door. The answer is still no. There was a word that came out this morning about vocally opposing the enemy. This is part of how we let our faith begin to manifest. We vocalize what we stand for, what is right in front of us, and are unyielding to what the enemy is throwing in our way. No. One of the most powerful words that God has given us. No. Do you see the distraction of repairing something that seemed good? Don't we want to all get along? Don't we want this relationship to be repaired? A distraction. The response was a right perspective, looking at what was right in front of him. Another distraction of the relentless nature of the enemy, but his response was to stand steadfast. No. He says that they intended, there's a lot of uh, this word, this in, Intended word will come up a few times. The intended was to harm, which literally means the intended, uh, what was intended was for evil to be done, for something to be wicked. Remember, this is what we talked about in Nehemiah chapter 4. Do you remember this? That the enemy, that he's saying, no, I want to confuse you. That I want to kill you. I want to kill the work that's going on in your life. I want to kill your relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to stop what God is doing. It's the same attack, but with a different messenger. This is where it says in Nehemiah 4, 7, we went through this two weeks ago. The breaches were beginning to be closed. We see there's always this pressure that comes when the breaches are beginning to be closed. They were very angry. Sometimes we underestimate the anger of the enemy when God is doing a work in our life. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause it confusion. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them to kill them and stop the work. That was Nehemiah 4, 7 through 11. When something harmful happens that creates fear and tries to keep you from moving forward in the kingdom, banana peel. This is the same thing that happens when someone, if you've ever fallen off a horse, it's that fear that I'm, I'm never getting back on that again. I'm never going there again. It's the same thing that happens relationally. If you've been hurt or burned, the enemy wants to take that and put that in your life so that you're saying, I'm never going back there again. Let the work stop. Let the trust stop. Don't let them get away with it. It's a childish trap. Is there a distraction in your life that the enemy is trying to use to cause and make the work of God stop? The first banana peel was distraction with the intent to harm. Here's the second one we are going to see. Accusation with the intent to scare. Did you know the enemy wants to accuse you so that you begin to question who God is? He wants to accuse you to get you to question who you are in Christ. 
so that you'll become afraid and that the work of God will stop. It's a childish trap. Let's look at verse 5. I want you to look for this in here. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, right? Just this pressure, this unceasing pressure, sent his servants to me with an open letter in his hand. We're going to come back to that. And it was written. Okay, ready for some accusations to begin to flow? It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now, come and let us take counsel together. Try and again. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you have said have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. I love that. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Did you see that this is a repetitive cycle for what the enemy tries to do? We saw it in Nehemiah 4. We see it in other places in the word. In Zechariah 3.1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. It's part of his game. You know, that this passage is interesting because a lot of times we think of the accusation of the enemy being something uh, that's right in our face and aggressive and yelling and, and he's just got this scowl and he's coming so intense. But the picture that we see, it's more of this laid back approach. It's like, well, you know, I, I can wait my turn. But what about this against him? What about this against him? Well, why does he do it like that? Because those kind of words with that kind of nature is much easier for us to open up a breach in our own heart and to receive. Sometimes the accusations that are coming toward us aren't these yelling, screaming accusations. They are these soft words that we easily receive and we let take root inside of our heart. Hey, has there been an accusation that the enemy is speaking softly to you? That has begun to crept into, creep into your heart. Out of any of the things we spoke about a couple weeks ago, maybe it's about your motives or about your identity. Maybe it's about your intentions or the way you worship or your resources or your ability. Any of those things, has, be, has he been speaking something into you that you have let take root? We see this again in Revelation 12. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He has thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. You see how accusation comes from the devil. It comes from the enemy. 
We saw in verse 5 that this was the fifth time pressure. Pressure is being put on. One time, two time, three, four. The fifth time, come and meet with us. Trying to wear them and break them down. My wife and I love this instrument called an Instapot. Has anyone ever used one of those? It's like a pressure cooker. Do you know how how a pressure cooker works? That you put... It's very... The, the, the description gives it away. <laughs> you put your favorite food or meat in there, and it cooks in like, I don't know, a fifth of the time because of the pressure and of the heat. Do you know these Instant Pot people who come up with all these recipes? They refer to themselves uh, uh, affectionately as potheads. <laughs> it's, it's true. And there's this pressure and this heat that is coming. That's the same way that the enemy tries to get us to believe in the accusations that are made against us with pressure. Pressure is often the foundation of accusation. It's part of it. It's part of the delivery process. It comes in the urgency. It comes in the frequency. It is part of the package. Let's see where that happens. So we saw in verse 5, for the fifth time, everyone say pressure. pressure. His servant to me with an open letter. Everyone say pressure. pressure. I was talking about this with one of the young men in our church, and it's very fascinating that it wasn't a closed letter. It wasn't a letter that had a seal on it meant for one person. That this was an open letter that could be read out loud to anyone with the intent and the finger pointing at one person. Do you see how the the publication of what Nehemiah was doing was adding to the pressure to get him to enter the enemy's territory? Nehemiah, you're not just going to see this letter, but everyone is going to see this letter. Do you want everyone to think about you in this way? You better come meet with me so we can clear this up. It was an open letter. You see how he begins to even uh, magnify that in verse 6 where he says, It is reported among the nations. (laughs) Nehemiah, listen, it's it's not just me thinking of, of this. This isn't just like me having an offense with you. This is reported among the nations about you. You see, it's adding to the pressure. You gotta do something. You have to move quickly. You have to get this under wraps. He said, it's not only among the nations. And Geshem, one of the leaders, they're all thinking of this, Nehemiah. The pressure. So what did he do? What was the accusation that he was going after as we were reading that? Did you catch it? Let's look at verse 6 again. It was his motives. He came to accuse his motives. He tells them, You have fake motives, and we're going to read it. You have fake motives, you're a fake leader, and you're spiritually fake. Look, he says that you and the Jews intended to rebel. 
Yeah, this whole wall thing, this isn't for you to have your city. This isn't for you to reestablish your place and just be in peace. This is so that you can rebel. Your motives, everything that you are speaking are a lie. You see that? According to these reports, you wish to become their king. Nehemiah, this isn't you uh, being a great servant to them and sacrificing for your people. This is you trying to become their king. He's being accused. You're a fake leader. You don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. Look, Nehemiah, we found you out. You're spiritually fake. You know, this is one that gets uh, thrown at us quite a bit. It gets thrown at our church quite a bit. Uh, people who treat prophecy with contempt, uh, they'll usually go to this. You know, all these healings uh, that you guys claim, all, all these prophetic words, th that's not real. That's just uh, stuff you guys make up. It's, this isn't real. We, we experience this all the time. But did you see where he experienced it? In verse 7, it says, And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. You're spiritually fake. You're supernaturally fake. This, is, this isn't really happening. You set this up. See how these accusations are increasingly becoming more and more personal? First he attacks the people that he's leading. Then he attacks him. Then he attacks the spirit of what's going on. Pay attention to these things. When you start to, to hear accusations in these realms, start to notice this is, this is childish. This is how the enemy moves. We don't have to be afraid. We can see his plan being clearly laid before us. So what is his response? Look at verse 8. If the accusation is you're fake, look at his response. He identifies the lie and he speaks the truth. Look at verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, like once again, he doesn't get involved, just send someone to him, saying, no such things as you have said have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. He's saying, you're lying. This is a lie. He identifies the lie. You're lying. It's not true. He doesn't prove himself. He doesn't try to justify. Well, no, maybe you thought this and did this. This is my reason. He doesn't explain himself. He says what needs to be said. You are lying. When these accusations begin to come into your mind and start to take root in your heart, maybe your first step, instead of worrying and contemplating, needs to be like, no, this is a lie. You are lying. That is not what is true. And then he goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. He says, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. You can see that this is a figurative speech. He doesn't actually need God to strengthen his hands, but he needs God to strengthen his soul. He needs God to strengthen his character. He needs God to strengthen his capacity. The reason why he says the word hands, have you ever seen a commercial uh, where someone, maybe you're going to watch a movie and they show the person at the movie with their big tub of popcorn and then a scary part hits and they go, ah! and they throw the popcorn. Right? Have you ever seen that or imagined that? Where then popcorn goes flying because they become so afraid? No? Okay. <laughs> That's the picture of what we're seeing. 
that this fear that the enemy is trying to cause causes a physical reaction to get us to let go of the promises of God. To try to get us to let go of what God has spoken to be true. He's saying, God, strengthen my hands. And by saying that, he's saying, strengthen my soul so that I will not fear and that my hands will not come off the shovel. Because it's not a hand strength thing, it's a soul strength thing. And we can, when we are reminded in the truth of what God says about us, our soul will remain steadfast and strong. Why do we meditate on the word of God? So that our soul can be strong and that through the intimacy we have with him, we can be built up and we can stand steadfast. It's through the truth. It's through the truth that we're able to do that. Accusations with intent to scare. Here's the last one. Another banana peel. The last banana peel that the enemy's thrown. Let's get them to slip on one more thing. Maybe I can accuse them and they'll be afraid. Maybe I can, uh, I can distract them and they're going to get harmed and that'll keep them away from my work. Here's the last one. And I believe, everyone done sneezing over there? Okay. Okay, distraction with the intent to harm. Okay. Banana peel. No one will ever sneeze in here again, I promise. There's like 70 sneezes over there. See, the Lord is really trying to break this whole health thing, you know, of everyone who's like concerned about the germs and stuff. Here's the last thing. And we're going we're gonna to work through this one a little bit because I believe this is one uh, that is unseen but is very powerful. And it's deception with the intent to discredit. I believe that the enemy, one of the, why does he lie to us? Why is he the father of lies? It's so that we will believe them and act in a way that is contrary to the nature that God has placed inside of us so that our name will become discredited and we will be ineffective in the work of God. We're going to break this down a little bit, okay? This is a banana peel. See, the lie isn't just about us, but it's to get people uh, to see. It's not just about us. It's to get us in a place of compromise so that people will begin to associate us and discredit us, and then they can discredit God. You see, the lies that we believe aren't just about us. Did you know that? It's not just so that we fall and get hurt. It's so that we fall, that we get hurt, that we become afraid, that we compromise in our life so that other people who once trusted us will discredit us and in discrediting us want nothing to do with God. Want nothing to do with the work of God. We see this all the time in the church. The enemy gets one strong man to fall, not so that people will be disenfranchised from that man, but so they'll be disenfranchised from the church and then from the Savior. This is a pattern that is, the enemy is using right now. I'm telling you, right now, to get God's children away from his throne. We're exposing it right now. 
the deception that he's going to believe, and then I'm going to tell you the deception, and then we're going to read through 10 and through 14. The deception is the enemy is going to have victory. The enemy is going to have victory. It might not be overall victory, but he's, he's coming to have victory. You need to be afraid. Let's look at verse 10. It says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mechtabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God. You see what's happening. Look at how the location is changing. First it started with, well, maybe I can lure Nehemiah out to the enemy's camp over here. I'll try it. I'll put the pressure on him. I'm asking him once, twice, three, four, five times. Okay, he's not coming here. So now the enemy starts to move toward him. Now we see that he's in the house of what Rashi believes and some commentators believe. What I believe is the house of a prophet. And he steps into this house. And now the enemy is trying to attack him in a place a little closer to home. And not only that, but he's, he's not content staying there. He says, let's go to the temple of God. The attack is being brought to the temple of God. The attack is now not out there, but it's being brought inside. You see, I was trying to, he's trying to move him to a different location. He won't fall for being brought somewhere else. But maybe he'll fall for an attack inside the temple. He says, let us close the doors of the temple, for they, they are coming to kill you. Urgency, right? Do you see how this pressure, this urgency is being turned up? They are coming to kill you. They, they are coming to kill you by night. A lot of times when we, say, we see things happen twice in Scripture, it's to emphasize it. There is this urgency that is starting to be uh, created, that the enemy is going to have victory. He is coming to kill you. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why doesn't he just go into the temple where he can be safe? I mean, it makes logical sense. Maybe the enemy will respect the temple. Maybe he'll, he'll, they'll see, hey, he's a man of God. I won't go there. Why, didn't, why did he try to get him to go there? Because that's a place God command, commanded people who weren't priests not to go. Let's look at 2 Chronicles real quick, 26. I want you to turn there. 2 Chronicles 26. There. Yep, there we got a clap. All right, on the count of three, we'll all clap if we're there. Ready? One, two, three. Perfect. This is our war march. Look, look at what it says. But when he was strong, he grew proud. Do you see this is a, a, almost a, a, a picture of now the wall is growing strong and there's a choice to remain humble or to become proud. And he grew proud to his destruction. That's how pride ends. For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. 
But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. Well, maybe we just let him do his thing. You know, he's going in the temple. I know this isn't what he's supposed to be doing according to what God has spoken. But, you know, he's a leader. Let's just know. Priests rise up. Go after them. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And we know this is how he ended his life. Now does it make a little more sense why the enemy was trying to tempt Nehemiah so that he would have a mark on himself for the rest of his life? So that when people would see him, they'd be like, that's not a man of God. We can't follow what he says. This whole plan that was his, look, he's marked, he's been discredited. Go into the temple. It's interesting how the enemy uses refuge to try to convince us in something that's against God's word. Come here, this will be a refuge for you. This will be a comfort for you. This will relieve some of the pressure that you've been feeling. You can hide. You can rest in this place. See, Nehemiah couldn't go into this place of refuge because he didn't have the right relationship. He wasn't a priest that was consecrated to do this work. But because his relationship with God is right, he knew the way to go. He didn't give in to a false sense of refuge and rest. Don't believe when the enemy throws a banana peel of refuge and rest in your way that is contrary to God's word. It will lead you into a place of destruction every single time. And the enemy tells him, go, go, they're going to kill you. And this is how Nehemiah responds. Does everyone have their eyes on verse 11 of chapter 6? But I said... Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. But I said, such a man as I should run away? And what man such as I go into the temple and live? I will not go in. This is the power of the word no. Do you see how he begins to combat this lie? The deception that the enemy will have victory. He says, such a man as I. The first place he starts with his identity, with who he is. When you are being deceived and you've identified with the lie and you'd ask the Lord to strengthen you, you then say, no, because this is who I am. Because in Christ I have been made victorious. Because I am a friend of God. You expect a friend of God to do something of this nature? You expect a man of God to act like this? You expect a woman of God? You expect a child of God to run away? You thought wrong. 
Not only does he go to his own identity, but he refers to who God is, to God's character in this as well. He says, do you think I will go into the temple and live? He says, you must not know my God. You must not know his word and what he has done to people when this has happened before. But I know his character. I know that my God is a God of his word. And when he says no, I can stand on that no. That when he says that he is my refuge and my strength, I can stand on that he is my refuge and strength. And I don't have to look for anything else to be that for me because he is enough. He reminds himself, this is who, my, who I am. This is who my God is. You, know, you think I would go into the temple and sin against my God in this way? And what we're going to see, we're going to look at verse 12 and 13. And there's a path that's going to be illuminated in verse 13 specifically that shows us how the enemy tries to discredit our name. In verse 12, he says, and I understood and saw, this is, this is what we call discernment. I understood and saw, I discerned that God had not sent him, but he, was, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired, right? This is the path, that I should be afraid does anyone else have a different translation? I should be intimidated. That I should be afraid and, and back away. That's the picture. That I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Maybe your translation says in order to discredit me. For this person, purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. I want you to look at this progression. I have another slide coming up. One more. Nope, back three. It's a picture. There's like a, arrows on it. They're shaking their head no. Well, why don't you find that and I'm going to talk about it. The first stop is deception. Deception. What lie can I get this person to believe? This deception leads to fear in us. This is the path to discredit us. It leads to an overwhelming fear. I need to be afraid of this thing, this lie. I, I need to worry about this. I need to yield to this lie. So the deception leads to a fear. And because we are afraid, the next place it leads us to is compromise. I'm compromising what I know is true about God. I know God's word says this, but I'm going to choose this. I know I can find refuge in the Lord, but instead I'm going to find refuge in this place or in this thing. It's a compromise. That compromise leads to sin. I have another slide. It's the one after this. It says the, uh, it's, it's the Hebrew Bible. There's a very interesting word. 
It says, for this he was hired in order that I fear and do so and sin so they should have this for a scandal in order to reproach me. Did you know that the enemy is trying to create a scandal around your name so that you will become discredited before men so that they will stop following you, stop following the work that the Lord is doing, and stop following the Lord? I'm trying to create a scandal. So this deception, stop one, leads us to fear, stop two. That's our choice. Leads us to compromise, stop three. Our choice. Leads us to sin, Stop four, our choice leads to a scandal that can be used against us. Then through this scandal, the enemy will discredit who we are, what we're about, the relationship that we have with the Lord. I want to read you a scenario to try to put some flesh around this. You are an employee. You have been deceived, stop one, into believing that your worth is tied to how you perform at work. At the office, you are known as the performer, a leader, a real sales magician. You succeed at everything that is handed to you, top sales. You're always called into leadership meetings that are above your pay grade. Everyone knows you at work as the Christian who has his life together. People respect you, they open up to you, and even your manager asks you advice on a regular basis about personal matters. People even begin to read the Bible and find a church because of your testimony and the favor you seem to have. But Q4 hits. Your numbers are down and you fear, stop two, that you will lose your position in the eyes of those around you if you don't perform in the way they expect you to. You begin to compromise, step three, and cut corners and lie to boost your sales. Some of your fellow employees see what's going on and they confront you. You continue to lie and to spin your story. It becomes a habit. It is unrepentant sin. You see how we went one to four pretty quickly there. Your boss finds out. He pulls you into his office. You confess to what you did wrong. He even forgives you. He lets you keep your job. But it seems over the next few weeks, things have changed. This scandal seems to have had its made its way around the office. People have stopped coming to you for advice. The spiritual conversations have come to a halt. Your voice with your manager has diminished. Your name has been discredited and your influence has ceased. Do you see how this can happen right before our eyes? Maybe you're a parent, you're a parent and you have kids and you made a promise to your children. Maybe we'll do this, I'll, I'll take you here. We'll spend this time together. But the deception comes into your mind that I'm too busy. I can't keep my word. I'm, I'm too busy. I have too much going on to keep my word. The fear that comes into your heart is how can I get my stuff done? I'm going to have no me time. You compromise and you tell your kids you will take them another time. You commit the sin of being double-minded, not keeping your word. 
The scandal is a bad name develops in your child's heart toward you. They associate you with not keeping your word. They begin to subconsciously and consciously believe my mom or dad doesn't keep their word. You have become discredited in their eyes. You start to hear from your own kid's mouth that you never do what you say you're going to do. Their trust is broken. Do you see how this pattern can cause so much heartache and confusion in the people of God? That there's a deception that leads to a fear, that leads to a compromise, that leads to sin, that leads to a scandal, that leads us to discredit. I want to go through, as we get ready to close, what if you have found yourself caught in this pattern? What do you do? If you have found yourself, maybe you're, you're in, in the stage of being deceived, what you need to do is put on truth. You need to see the deception and you need to choose and believe what is true. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth of praise, think about these things. That I will not choose to meditate on and think over and mull over the deception. I will think on what is true. Step one. Well, what if we begin to fear? We trust. Psalm 56.3 says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Did you know that your trust in the Lord is a choice? We don't have a choice of how the enemy is going to use deception, but we do have a choice on how we're going to respond to it. He tried to deceive me. Well, I'm going to respond by saying, this is what is true. He tried to cause me to be afraid. Well, I'm going to respond by putting my trust in the Lord. Compromise. Don't compromise. Choose steadfastness. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the labor or in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Did you see that? Be steadfast. It's a command that we have a choice to do this. But God, I'm, I'm afraid and I'm going to have to compromise. No. Steadfastness. Stand firm. You have a choice. Maybe you've been deceived and you're living in fear. You've compromised and now you're in sin. What, what, what do we do? We choose holiness. We choose holiness. It's a choice. First Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. It's a choice. Do this. Be this in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What if you're involved in a scandal? There's a scandal surrounding your name. You have a bad name. You put on godly grief. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
where worldly grief produces death. Now watch, this is what comes from godly grief. So when godly grief occurs, we have repentance, verse 11, for see what earnestness, this intense conviction, this godly grief has produced in you, but also that in eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment, at every point you have proved yourself innocent. That when your name is tied up and you're thinking, how can I restore my name? But this has happened. Okay, remember what we talked about? The enemy wants to take us, uh, challenge our identity, and then uh, create in us a performance mentality. It's not about performing better. It's about putting on godly grief and letting the fruit of godly grief come out in your life. That repentance just comes forth. This desire to clear yourself comes forth. That eagerness comes forth and earnestness, intense conviction that you're not even trying to clear your name in the sense of, I want to make myself great again, but you're humbling yourself so that godly grief would come out of you and in that your name would be cleared. When there's a scandal, we put on godly grief. And when we're discredited, we put on humility. Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Lord is the one who exalts us. So no matter where you are in this process of going down the path of discredit, that if you start at the very point, if you start at the place of discredit, put on humility, then go to godly grief, then go to holiness, then go to steadfastness, trust, and truth. Work your way backwards and watch as the Lord begins to restore you. This is how the story ends that we're going to be in for this week. He cries out to God. He says, remember Tobiah and Sambalot, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. He's saying, God, remember them. I trust that you are the one who's going to fight on my behalf. I trust that you are the one who's going to validate me and vindicate me and fight for me and allow the, the courage to come back in me as I face these things. So I want to encourage you today identify the banana peels that the enemy has so childishly been throwing in your path. What are they? Do they come in the form of discredit or accusation? Is it a, a fear to, to try to cause you harm? Whatever it is, identify it for what it is and move forward in faith. Let's stand together and pray. So God, I pray that you would give us new eyes in this place. Or that you would give us eyes to see the distraction that we don't need to get involved in. God, that you would give us eyes to see the accusation and the deception. God, knowing that the enemy cannot harm us or scare us or discredit us, Lord, from stopping your work. So God, we pray that a new boldness would arise in us, God. Or that a new resolve would rise in us. 
God, that we would stand on your truth, that we would stand on your word, and we would say, God, you know the scheme of the enemy better than we do. We know that you will protect us and that you will fight for us, God. So, Lord, we pray just for a new vision in this place. God, we pray that there would be uh, just this deep uh, longing and yearning to be a part of your work. God, I pray for the people that have been made afraid in here, that they would put on courage right now in Jesus' name. The same acts for courage and boldness that came when the Holy Spirit came upon them and the entire house shook. I pray that that would happen in their life so they can continue in the work and in the call that you have placed on them, God. Will this be a place of refuge here? Lord, will we not look to anything else but only to your presence and to what you have spoken? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys.